Life is often so busy, taking us here, there, seemingly everywhere. When you are unable to make it to church, we hope you are fed and nourished by listening to the preaching of God's Word wherever you are at the moment. In the meantime, take care, and God bless. Weddings are usually fancy. They are beautiful. They are elaborate. They are complicated. They are expensive. With all the working parts and fixings, it's easy to lose sight of what's most important. Surely I know after 32 years, it's not the preacher or the soloist, even though Tim Graff is an excellent choice. The photographer, one might think that that's the most important because it's so expensive and it feels like it takes nine hours to do the picture taken part. But here's the thing. You think that you're gonna go back to your album time and time and time again, but after a while, it only becomes a go-to activity when family or friends come to your house because it's kind of like fish. They stay too long. And then you think, hey, you want to look at our wedding album? <laughs> Hoping that that will be the way for them to start heading home. The florists, they're beautiful. But what do you do with all the flowers? You want some? You want some? Please take some. And the amount of money that most people spend on flowers, my first two automobiles. In case you want me to get to the point, here it is. Nothing is more important at a wedding than Jesus. Sorry, those of you who got married, which is why the officiant, at least any wedding that goes to this place, we begin the service with these words. As you gladdened the wedding in Cana in Galilee by the presence of his son, so by his presence now bring your joy to this wedding. That's this text. We're so glad that you're joining us today, Jesus. We wouldn't think of starting a brand new life together without you, without your blessings. Say nothing about your continued love, support, and guidance. As a marketing department of the Episcopal Church, which is a lot better than ours, put on billboards many years ago, loved your wedding ceremony, invite me into your marriage. Sincerely, Jesus. Well, it just so happens that today's text is about a wedding. Imagine that. One day, Mary went to the mailbox, and she discovered that she had been invited to a wedding. She was happy. Not all of us are. Cool. When is it? 7th of, 7th of June. Great, I can go. Turns out, Jesus received his own invitation, and it read Jesus plus 12. The disciples. Silly. Now, here's what we know about weddings in that day and age. They lasted for days and days. In fact, after a wedding had taken place, the couple went home and they stayed there for one week and they waited for their friends and relatives to stop by and celebrate. So my guess is everyone had their role, the clergy, the soloist, the photographer, the videographer, cake. Someone was in charge of grill and chips and dip and salad. But apparently the person who was in charge of wine did not do their job. Now, they might have run out of burgers and pickles or ice cream treats, but apparently running out of wine was the biggest deal of all because this is what the text reads. This is how the text in the Holy Bible reads. Remember, there's a wedding, but it reads, on the third day there was a wedding. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
when the wine gave out. The mother of Jesus turned to her son and said, they have no wine. Okay, so here's what goes through my mind. My mind is twisted, I know, but there's no mention at all of the couple. Nothing about the wedding party. What did the wedding dresses look like? Were they good or not so good? The flowers, the photographer, the soloist, the officiant, all that really doesn't seem to matter. All that really matters is we got to get some more wine and total wine is closed. <laughs> but I must say that what happens next, I find very interesting. I find it interesting that as fast as lightning, Mary gave her son, Jesus, the look that only mamas have. You know the look, the look that mamas have. Are you going to fix this or what? Now, two things. First off, many scholars believe that Mary was one of the people who was in charge of watching the wine. And so, Mary, you watch the wine, and if we run out, we'll send Tom, Dick, or Harry to go get some more. Two, who needs Tom, Dick, or Harry to run to the liquor store when you know who and what Jesus is? Mary knows that Jesus was there to create the world, and so making some more wine is not a big deal. But apparently Jesus was not exactly feeling it at the moment because he looks at his mom and says, woman, try that at home, woman. <laughs> Yo, woman, what concern is that to you? My hour has not yet come. Okay, three things. I am just a font. One, that is about as close as not honoring your mama as one can possibly get to not honoring your mama. Two, if Mary was the monitor of the wine supply, clearly Jesus had no idea, which explains why Jesus said, what concern is that? to me. However, in this case, Mary would have said, hey, remember on Sign Up Genius, I am watching the wine from two to seven. Remember, I told you? Three, mom, yes, son. We've been doing everything we can to keep my true identity on the down low. With the first miracle, it's game on. Once it starts, there's no going back, so be careful. Regardless of what was said or not said, Mary looks at the wait staff and she says, do whatever he tells you to do, which was her passive Minnesota-like way of saying, as long as you live in our basement, you're gonna listen to me. <laughs> now I'd love to know more about this interaction between Mary and Jesus because it's there. Like, did Jesus put a smile on his face? Or was he like most children who, when they're told to go clean their room, there's an air of, I really don't want to do this? Did he clench his teeth? Does it matter? I'm curious. With this much we know for sure, Jesus gave the directive, and voila, there was more wine than an entire month or calendar year of weddings could consume. And not only that, Jesus was really good at making wine because the person goes up and says to the bridegroom, this is awesome. You serve the good wine at the end. Most people wait for them to be able to not tell the difference, children's show. 
And then they throw in the two-buck chuck. But not you. You save the best for last. And then today's text ends with these words. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All of this, of course, gave rise to a few more thoughts. Actually, three. Point number one, any story told by Jesus is always about Jesus. Any story told by Jesus, any story that has Jesus in it, any story that has God in it is about God and Jesus and not primarily about us. I have examples. The parable of the lost sheep. The context is the holy people, the ones who look like me, the ones who should know better, watching Jesus, and we have sinners and tax collectors going up and talking to him, and they wonder why in the world would he do that? Jesus had really good hearing, and he also noticed their countenance, their bad vibes, and so he said, let me tell you a story about me. Now it's not being self-absorbed, but it's illustrative. So the kingdom of heaven is like, or I am like, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. Let's just say that one of those little lambs goes off and goes strays. I will actually go find the one that is lost. Now, if you're going to hire a shepherd, that's a bad hire. If you leave the 99 and you go after the one, if you're an investment banker, if you're a stockbroker, you go with the law of averages. But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna go after that one lost sheep, which is good news because it might be your child. It might be your son or daughter. It might be you, it might be your spouse, it might be your grandma or grandpa, it might be your friend, somebody you know and love. I'm gonna go, forsake the 99 and go. But when it comes time to sell, under that paradigm, you might not have 99, you might have 23, and a lot of happy hyenas, coyotes, and lions. But the story told by Jesus is always about Jesus. This is how I love all my children. Not some of them, not those who go to church, not Lutherans, or Methodists, or Catholics, or those who confess thusly. I love them all, says Jesus. The parable of the prodigal son, favorite, favorite story in the entire Bible. Now, I also know that not everyone knows the Bible like I do. And so, I'll give you the cliff note, which got me through Augsburg College. Jesus says, let's just say that my father and I are like this. Two sons, father. Youngest son comes up and says, uh, can I please have my inheritance? Two things. Number one, it's really rude to ask for inheritance when in this case, dad is not dying. Emily Post would say, no, no. But according to the law of that day, the youngest got squat. Everything was given to the oldest. So this is the first time the oldest is going, you're a little punk. But the Father, God, says, here you go. The word prodigal means extravagant. It means reckless. It means wasteful. So therefore, look through that lens. Gives him all that, goes and has a bunch of wine, 
spends it all, casino and fun, so to speak, but wakes up and he's got an empty debit card and his head hurts and he's tired. And he says, I'm gonna go home and I'll be okay being a servant. And he practices his speech. And as he looks down the driveway, he sees his dad. His dad runs and picks him up and kisses him. And he says, I'm so glad to see you. He looks at the older kid, yeah, here it comes. Go get the fatted calf. Really? Ground him like forever. Make him pay you back. None of that. He came back and I'm glad. Well, why in the world do I do all the right things? Because you want to do the right things. Everything I have is yours, just like him. He just got lost, like the one little lamb. Picking up what I'm laying down, picking up what Jesus is saying. Parable of the workers in the vineyard. So a woman owns a vineyard and she goes out and says, you know what, I need a worker. So you come and I want you to start at nine, I'm gonna pay you 50 bucks, okay? That's a lot of money. Let's just make up like it's old school. So you go to work at nine o'clock and I realize that all the work can't be done. So I go to you at noon and I say, hey, will you work today? You can be off at five, I'll pay you 50 bucks. You show up and you work. I need more. So I go up and I say, hey, at three o'clock, will you come work a couple hours? Give you 50 bucks and you go, sounds good to me. And then you work till five and the whistle blows and everyone comes for payday. And this was before ADP, so they did it out in the open. And they all stand there and they all work different hours, but they all get 50 bucks. You're happy, you're okay, you're ticked and you want to call your lawyer. This is not fair. Jesus says it's not fair. It's called grace. And I can dispense as I want. Today's text, there's a wedding, there's a party, love is in the air, the wine runs out, but it's really about Jesus and his amazing love. Every story that Jesus tells has the same ring to it. We want it to be fair. The good news is, it's not fair. Because you and I would not end up on the ledger that we think we would end up. Point number two, grace is free and totally undeserved. So I'm gonna mention a poem in my sermon. I want this to be noted that I am mentioning a poem. <laughs> it's not Longfellow, it's not Milton, it's, it's nothing highbrow. It's John Mooney, the household name. But I did receive this years and years ago from a prisoner not here, my former call, and the person knew that my mom had already been in heaven and it's entitled Christmas from Heaven. And then I started to read it and then I, I read it. It begins, I still hear, I still feel, I still share. I just want to tell you, you still make me proud. So if you know me well enough, I'm reading this, I'm thinking about my late mom and waterworks begin. I'm like, this is awesome. I love this. But then I read the, the rest of it. And frankly, 
Reading the second part of this poem is like every single Vikings game in the second half when it's the divisional playoffs. It is completely and utterly disappointing. Now I'm back to myself. But this is, and whenever you send a poem to me, I can read it, but if it's theological, as a theologian, be careful what you send. Because we will pick it apart, not because we're picky, but because what we understand about God's economy and God's love and grace, or lack thereof, is important. So I read, keep trying each moment to stay in his grace. You don't have to be perfect all of the time. He forgives you the slip if you continue the climb. Okay, deep breath. Welcome to Lutheran Moment 102. And I didn't start at 101 because this is advanced a little bit. So when he wrote, keep trying each moment to stay in his grace, I am saying do not put trying and grace in the same sentence. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm guessing he's not a marinated Lutheran, and that's okay. But there's something when you put trying and grace together, it's at least oxymoronic. It just doesn't work. Grace is a gift. Grace is not earned. It cannot be achieved. It is without merit. It cannot be obtained. Grace is getting the first place trophy when you don't come in first. And everyone knows, I was an athlete, everyone knows that if you and I were to race to the bathroom, I would, if possible, trip you. I don't want to lose. <laughs> I am one of the most competitive people you will ever know. But this is not a lacrosse tournament. This is not a band. This is not trying out for the Chanhassen Dinner Theater. Everyone in God's kingdom gets the same prize. Martin Luther took care of that. No gradation of sins. It's all grace. You can't try to stay in God's grace. If I were to ask you to go to a Vikings game and at halftime we would show on national television you tying your shoes, you and I would have a hard time tying our shoes because we're trying too hard. You can't put those things together. You don't have to be perfect all the time. He forgives you the slip if you continue the climb. Welcome to Lutheran Moment 103. He forgives you the slip if you continue the climb. Do not use forgive and if in the same sentence. Has every one of your children confessed all their sins to you? Absolutely not. Is there gonna be a time when you, when you get older and you're gonna sit around and they have kids of their own, they realize that they were really kind of not nice to you because they didn't tell you a lot of things because now their own children are not telling them the truth and over a glass of Merlot, your son or daughter will say, well, you know those six times I said I was going over to somebody's house? Yes, I lied, I know. We don't have to confess in order to be forgiven by God. Because if that's the case, then we're basically forgiving or not forgiving ourselves. Have you atoned for everything you've ever done against your neighbor to God? 
How long would that confession be? Do not use forgive and if in the same sentence. And the part of the climb in the ladder, welcome to Lutheran moment 104. I'm almost done. We cannot ever climb our way to God, which is why God decided to come down to us in Jesus. Can't do anything to make God love you more. You and I are saved by grace through faith, apart from anything that we can do. It's all grace. Point number three. How and where does Jesus make more wine for you in your life? Gracia Grindall was a professor of rhetoric at Luther Seminary and one of my favorite people ever because I like rhetoric and I liked Gracia. And she didn't teach preaching, she taught speech. And one time she looked at our class and she said, and this is something that I don't do enough, but when it happens, I employ it. She said, don't answer every question for your people. End with a question. End with fill in the blank. I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna tell you how Jesus makes more wine, because this, this is metaphorical, baby. We think of analogies. This is not about the wine, because you know what? Someone was gonna drink that wine. And every one of my colleagues know that when I preach, I ask a question with two words, so what? So what? They had a wedding at Cana, and the parents or whomever was paying for that wine was really elated to not pay for the wine. When our daughter Rachel, if that's the way it goes, I would like Jesus to show up and buy some wine because I know it's expensive and I know people get really thirsty when they're not paying. <laughs> but this isn't about wine. I think of Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, and I'll tell the story because not everyone knows the story. But Jesus and Lazarus were good friends. He had good friends, kind of like some pastors have good friends. We love all of you, but sometimes we dig in a little bit more with certain people. And he heard that he was dying, and Jesus got caught up in just being the Savior, or maybe he didn't, because you got to read the rest of the story, and he died. And he came, and then the friends said, we wish you would have been here, because if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus kind of goes, or not. Everyone dies, goes in, brings them back to life. But you know what? I don't know how much longer later it was, but Lazarus died, and this time he stayed dead until he was raised from the dead. If I look at Lazarus' story and I can't apply it to me, then what's the point? And so I want you to think this week how and where does Jesus make more wine for you in your life? Because you know what? If you don't really think about it, if you don't really pick up what Jesus is doing, then it's kind of living in a relationship with your spouse and you don't do kind and loving things and you don't say every day, I love you. You don't say I love you in order to stay in love. You say I love you because you know you are. 
lot of times, I think we think of Jesus as like a highway helper. You know what those are, right? Because you live in Minnesota? Go to Alabama. They don't have them. That's why we pay more taxes. I'm not kidding. We have people who just go in a truck and they look for people in trouble. And then we go by and we look at a highway helper and say, oh, I'm glad you're there because I don't want to help. But when we drive by, we don't realize that sooner or later, metaphorically or literally, we're going to need someone to stop and help us. Every day of our life, we need Jesus to make more wine for us metaphorically. And Jesus does. Do you drink it up? Or are you thirsty? Do you understand, do I understand, that Jesus knew that as soon as I do this, everyone will know who and what I am, and every single day of your life as a disciple, you will realize that I live because of, I live forgiven because of, I am given mercy, I am given kindness, and I'm giving you some of what I said I wasn't gonna give you, but I wanted to give you a running start. How and where does Jesus make more wine in your life? And I'm supposed to say, because this is the end of the sermon series, that this is the end of the party. But remember how the text ended? about the good wine, it wasn't about having a great Napa Valley wine. It was about you save the best for last. As you and I get older and things get creakier and things get harder and life gets more complicated and then we think how long are we gonna live and what will happen, Jesus saves the best for last and said, I'm glad you lived in my love and promise all your life and someday it's gonna come true and you will see how beautiful the party is that awaits. This is a party without end. And then I can read a half good poem that reminds me that my mom is still Seeing me, loving me, proud of me, for whom is that true in your life? But this week I want you to think, how and in what way does Jesus make more wine in my daily life? Because I think if you look, if you stop and think about it, you're going to realize that even though it's sometimes a tempered party. Jesus is the life of the party. Literally, metaphorically, every single analogy, we are so blessed to be invited to the feast. Thanks be to God. Amen. You think about how you will live out your faith each day. If you would like to support the ministries at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, you can do so by having your credit card information available and then texting a gift to 952-260-9007. Thank you and God bless.